Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap as we, like the Eastern Conference leading revolution, return from the international break. And what a way to do it with perhaps the revolution's most thrilling victory of the season, a 3-2 win on the road against New York City FC at Red Bull Arena, which we know is a little bit, a little bit unusual to see New York City FC playing there. Uh, anyways, the, the revolution twice took the lead in this one, only to concede equalizers both times before finally going ahead for good on an 88th-minute goal from Tommy McNamara, his first goal for the Revs, and what a time to score it. Uh, Gustavo Bell, all, uh, Gustavo Bo also scored, as well as John Bell, who, who had his first goal of the season for the revolution. Um, but the real man of the match in this one, I think both of us would agree was Matt Turner who made seven saves, including a penalty kick. And what I would say was his best performance of the season, maybe of his career. Um, and joining me today to dissect this one. And th- there's a lot here to dissect is Chris Volucas. Chris, first of all, happy father's day. It's been a while since our last show. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Yeah. Doing very good. Uh, like you said, it's father's day. I've been really, really busy um, recording this one today, before recording this today. Um, so Pardon me if uh, I'm a little tired, but uh, doing very good, fantastic. And again, thanks for uh, saying Happy Father's Day. And, and Happy Father's Day to any other fathers that are listening to the show, including our fathers and uh, any any Rev fans' fathers out there. Um, but let's jump right into the game. It really was a thrilling game, and you know, one of the ones that I think we're both excited to talk about. Instead of some of the, uh, some sometimes we come into these with uh, some boring games, where we're trying to figure out what we're going to dissect. In this one, I think we could go for hours, but we'll we'll try to keep it to a lot less than that. Uh, what was your key takeaway from this one? Yeah, it was really difficult to pick one because there's so many different uh, storylines that we could have really dive uh, dove into. I went with Matt Turner because obviously he was the main focal point of that match. If you look at any highlights of that match, if you look at any Twitter feeds regarding that match, it's all Matt Turner, Matt Turner, Matt Turner. Uh, And my takeaway is really what's going to happen to the revs when Matt Turner's going to be called up to the U.S. U.S. men's national team. Because if you have any other keeper and net uh, facing shots and, you know, a New York city attack that they saw, you, you can't expect saves like that to happen on like a regular occurrence of any sort. And I have faith in Brad Knighton. I have faith in Earl Edwards Jr. But you can never not expect anybody to make saves like uh, Matt Turner has been making to keep them out. I, I think New York City had almost three and a half expected goals in that game and came away with only two. Uh, the two goals were I credit to New York. They were good goals. But I mean, come on, Matt Turner. It was just it was such an unreal performance. But my takeaway is I, I'm I'm a bit concerned as to maybe what's going to happen in the future as Matt Turner gets called up to the national team. We know, or we assume that he'll be playing in the gold cup. Uh, I think that he's already been named to the preliminary roster there. And then world cup qualifying is coming up too. I don't know what's going on with Zach Steffen's injury. Uh, is Matt Turner going to be getting called up for that? There's a lot of us men's national team games coming up this summer and fall. Uh, what's, what, what's the team's plan? Uh, how do you, how do you back up a player like Matt Turner? I, I'm not really sure. So my takeaway is that what a performance by Matt Turner, but uh, what, are the, what are the refs going to do going forward? Yeah, and I know we got a listener question from, from David Sibillin where he asked how screwed are the Revs when Turner leaves, and I think you did a, a good mm-hmm. job of kind of pointing out that out there. And, you know, it's a, it's a great point because 
Brad Knighton, the Revs are lucky to have a goalkeeper that you know has a lot of experience, uh, a very experienced backup, which that's a you know a great thing to have. And I think he's a you know a very serviceable MLS goalkeeper. He's a good MLS goalkeeper. But Matt Turner is another level. Matt Turner is you know I think already in the conversation of one of the all time great. MLS goalkeepers and the revolution have been lucky to have some really good goalkeepers. You look back at Matt Reese, uh, phenomenal goalkeeper, one of the best in MLS and, and how key he was for the revolution during all those MLS cup runs. And then their first MLS cup run, Aiden Brown, you know, didn't have the longevity of Matt Reese, but phenomenal MLS goalkeeper. And I think, you know, those two guys in Turner are a clear step above any other goalkeeper. Um, I mean, you can talk about go way back in time to Walter Zinga, who came here, you know, past his prime. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, those three guys, in my mind, are a clear step above any other Revolution goalkeeper. And you know, when you talk about removing one of those guys from the lineup, um, it does make a huge difference. And there's been a lot of talk this year about how the Revolution haven't needed to rely on Turner as much. The defense has been better, um, and there were a lot of times the past two seasons where Turner was absolutely saving the Revolution. You know multiple games in a row um and you could i think you could easily make the argument that if the revolution didn't have matt turner the past two seasons they probably weren't even a playoff team um because how many points matt turner got for the revs this year i don't think he's had to do that quite as much the revolution as a whole have played a lot better um and i expect the revolution as a whole to continue to play a lot better but this game was the perfect example of exactly what you're talking about is matt turner can win a game on his own for the revolution and he did in this game i i don't think the revolution you know again brad knighton's a good goalkeeper i don't think the revolution get three points from this game if brad knighton's in goal um the stuff you saw from matt turner i mean i'm I'm not sure the revolution get one point from this game if brad knighton's in goal and again Mm -hmm. I i think he's a good keeper it's just turner is a completely another level um which is why he's in the conversation um, with Andre Blake as the best goalkeeper in MLS and why he's in the conversation as, you know, one of the, the three guys in the U.S. men's national team. Um, but, you know, he, he saved the penalty kick in this game. He had, you know, multiple point blank stops. It was just a phenomenal performance for Matt Turner. And, you know, on, on the flip side, I think it was a, a disappointing performance from the Revolution defense as a whole, which is why Matt Turner had to be so good. Um, but, you know, if the Revolution defense plays like this and Matt Turner's out, I, I agree. I think they're they're on, in for kind of a, a long, uh, a, a difficult period if Turner's away for the Gold Cup. Yeah, 100%. And going back to Turner's saves, even there was probably four of his saves that he made. If they had gone in the back of the net, you would have been like, oh, what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do to stop those shots. But when you have a guy like Turner, I mean, I just... It, it takes the words away from me. It's it's really hard to to find new ways to talk about how good Matt Turner is because it's becoming such an such a consistent and recurring theme that it, it, I like I I don't have words. I'm speechless. It's it's yeah. Uh, it's unbelievable to watch him out there, and uh, we are so lucky, and we need to enjoy it while we can. Yeah, I know absolutely. And I when you see performances like that, and you know, you heard about European interest in the off season. Well, I think we'll talk more about that later. But you can yeah. certainly see why that's there. And um, after a game like this, you it's it's hard to see how you know if he keeps playing like this that he won't have offers on the table in the in the short term future. So um, definitely enjoy it while you can because it's really something special we're seeing from Matt Turner. Um, you know, again, there's the Revs have been lucky to have some really good goalkeepers, a, a few, a handful with, with, you know, Matt Reese comes to mind and Matt Turner comes to mind. But, but those two guys are, you know, just a class above um, your average keeper. And it's important to recognize that, that you can't just, you know, it's, it's very hard to replace someone like that. I've seen some comments on Twitter like, oh, I don't, I'm not worried about replacing a goalkeeper, but you're, you're not going to get 
another Matt Turner, um, you know, very easily. It's going to take a long time to find somebody like that unless you go out and, you know, make a, get a designated player goalkeeper. But, but even then, I think you're, you're going to have trouble finding somebody as good as Matt Turner. So um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm completely with you on that. Um, my takeaway, though, was kind of on the, the opposite side, which is that the, the Revs looked rusty um, in this game. And it's to be expected. It's been, you know, 21 games since 21 days since their last game. I've always kind of been of the opinion that if a team has more than 10 days off, it's more of a negative than a positive. Um, you know, it's good to have a little bit of rest, but I, I think the rust factor definitely comes in. And I thought the Revs looked really rusty to start this game. Um, the first 15 minutes, they were extremely lucky, you know, both the penalty kick and other chances that New York City had not to have fallen behind. Um, and, you know, just throughout the game, the, the defense didn't look as cohesive as it had all season. And, you know, to be frank, I don't think the offense looked as good as it had all season, at least for, you know, maybe the first hour until we saw those substitutions, uh, which we'll talk about later. But to me, it was it was a good sign that the Revolution weren't playing at their best, but found a way to win at their best. And like I like I said, going back to Turner, you know, we saw a lot of times the past two seasons where Turner helped win them points on his own. We haven't seen him have to do that as much this season, but they proved, you know, he proved he's certainly still capable of doing that. And the Revolution proved they're certainly capable of finding a way to get points, you know, not just when they're playing poorly, but playing poorly on the road. Um, because to me, this was, you know, we talked about this being perhaps the most thrilling game of the season. It was not the Revs' best performance of the season. It was Matt Turner's best performance, but it was not the Revs' best performance. And they still found a way to score three goals and, and get three points. So to me, that's a, a you know an important thing for a team that has championship ambitions, that they can find a way when even when they're not playing their best, even when they've had, you know, three weeks off and have some rust to shake off, that they, you know, don't just collapse and, and lose, that they, they find a way to dig out and, and get those three points. And that's a huge three points against a New York City FC team that, you know, I think everyone expects to, or at least before the season, expected to be, you know, one of those teams competing for the top spot in the East. Yeah, 100%. And you got to think New York City, too. They, uh, they're they playing with a couple of players out. Uh, Azela Lamb is out. Uh, and I think I said that wrong, but uh, Hebert also was not playing. So those are two impact players for New York City that did not play. So I would not be surprised to see New York City rising the tables and uh, being a, a, a spot of bother, I guess, you know, as the season progresses. Um, but yeah, lucky to get the three points, I think. Uh, the, I mean, I guess lucky, but it's, you know, credit to Matt Turner, of course. Always goes back to Matt Turner in, the, in this game. Uh, but to your point of the team looking rusty, I mean, I I lost count of how many times they just made sloppy passes in the attacking half, even in the defensive half, uh, trying to build out the back. Uh, stupid mistakes. Uh, Dewan Jones, there was a, a play he tried passing it right up the right up the line. I forget I forget who he was going to. Um, he hit New York City player right in the chest. Uh, <laughs> He was like 10, 15 yards away from the guy. He tried passing it up the line, hit it, hit the city player right in the chest, and it started an attack the other way. It didn't result in a goal, thankfully. But uh, plays like that are are not gonna uh, not not a sustainable way to consistently win matches. But the the rust factor was definitely there last night, and it it was I mean it was obvious. But like you said, it's 21 games since their or days rather since their last game. Uh, hopefully it was just shaking off the rust, getting back into the getting back into the flow of things. New York City on this other side was also pretty rusty to start the match, so it, it could have just been getting back into the to the rhythm of playing the game. 
yeah, it's it's not. I don't think it's easy to to have that many days off and then get back into playing top quality competitive soccer against a really good team. Um, so it's, I, I think it's to be expected. Um, but you know, you're right. The play out of the back wasn't great. You know, Andrew Farrell passed at sixty six point seven percent. So you know, one third of his passes were turnovers, and he's a guy that usually passes over eighty percent. He's you know, he's a he's a pretty solid or at least a pretty smart passer as far as not turning the ball over. So that you know, that's a really bad number. Brandon Bio was at sixty seven point seven percent. We know he's not the best passer. He's usually seventy percent. But still, that's a pretty poor number. Um, you know, Bell was actually at eighty-one point three percent, and Jones, despite the you know the the notable giveaway that you mentioned, and he had a few other ones, was at eighty-six point three percent. So you know, he was actually the the best passer percentage-wise in the Revolution defense. But um, there was definitely some rust there. But I did kind of want to talk about the lineup decisions, which you know goes to the defense to start with. We had a lot of questions about the defense and the center back pairing in particular. Um, we're, we'll get to listener questions later, but I'll kind of cover like four of them <laughs> with this this first part. So, uh, Powder Hungry asked about why Farrell is still starting. He's been too unpredictable. Meanwhile, Kessler puts together more consistent performances for the team when he starts. Um, Mike Kennedy asked the, the penalty kick aside, why is Farrell a starter? Would Bell and Kessler be a better pairing, or is Arena right to keep Farrell in as a starter? Revving Matt also asked what the center back pairing should be. David Sibillian asked, is, is Bell the starter going forward? So, everybody wants to know about that center back pairing. And I, for one, was surprised to see the starting lineup and see John Bell in over Henry Kessler. Now, of course, John Bell scored a key goal in this game. Um, but what did you think when you saw that lineup choice? And what do you think that means for the Revolution center back pairing going forward? I was surprised by it. Uh, honestly, I didn't read too much into it as far as a going forward thing. I think this is maybe similar to the Matt Turner scenario where Turner's going to be playing with the U.S. men's national team for the Gold Cup. Henry Kessler might be getting a look to. I believe he got called into the preliminary roster. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one. He did, although that roster is extremely lengthy. (laughs) Yes. I don't don't know how many players it it is, but it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's usually somewhere around the 40 mark. But So I I think that Bruce probably feels or maybe knew that Henry Kessler might be getting called into the camp uh, and wants to give John Bell – uh, some more minutes, you know, get that confidence going, make sure that he's performing well. You know, if you have a U.S. men's national team player on your roster, they're not going to be on the bench. Uh, you're going to be playing those players. And uh, Henry Kessler has proven that he deserves to at least get a shot with the men's national team, in my opinion. And I, I was surprised at first to see that. But my my mind went, you know, maybe maybe he knows, maybe Arena knows that Kessler's going to be playing with the national team. And you know, during the MLS break, the international break here for the 21 days, we did see Brad Knighton getting a lot of minutes with Revs too. And I'm assuming that's to get, you know, game minutes for Brad Knighton to make sure that he's ready to go when he needs to step in to, for Matt Turner. And maybe it's the same thing. Maybe I'm creating a false, you know, scenario and storyline here, but that's that's the way I perceived it. Um, I, I Going forward, I still think Kessler is above uh, John Bell. Although I thought maybe, you know, contrary to you, John Bell had a pretty solid game overall. Um, I don't know. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of shocked. Well, I guess maybe not shocked isn't the right word, but I was surprised when, um, you know, a little bit surprised when I saw John Bell get the start over Henry Kessler. I think Henry Kessler has had a good season overall. Um, And, you know, Bruce Arena keeps kind of saying the same thing. Um, that you know they're trying to make sure that they have three center backs ready to play, and that he didn't feel he felt like that was a problem last year is that they didn't have enough center back depth, um, and so I, he's 
know, he's he's not letting it known, you know, who his who his preference is. He's clearly not making it clear that it was John Bell over Henry Kessler. But when you see John Bell playing this many games in a row with, you know, just kind of one opportunity for Kessler in the middle of it, you know, you have to start to wonder if it's more than just getting him minutes, if John Bell's actually, you know, become the guy for Bruce Arena over Henry Kessler. Um, and I, I tend to think that Bruce Arena has put Bell above Kessler in the depth chart, um, which is surprising to me because, I, you know, I still would have, you know, from what I've seen, I still have, I think Bell's done a very good job. I think Bell's you know, a fantastic addition to the revolution. It's great to have a young center back that can fill in and play really well. Um, but like you said, Kessler, you know, has earned a spot in the Olympic qualifying team. He's on the preliminary roster for the U.S. national team for the Gold Cup. You know, he's he's done really well. And if I were to pick right now, I'd still have Kessler above Bell. Um, so there's a scenario you mentioned where, you know, maybe Bruce Arena knows something, knows that Henry Kessler is going to be called up for the Gold Cup and really wants to give Bell a run out to make sure they're prepared for that. Um, my guess is that Kessler doesn't get called up for the Gold Cup. Um, if if I'm wrong and he does get called up for the Gold Cup, this all of a sudden makes a lot more sense to me. And then there's the other scenario where, you know, Bruce Arena sees they have three games this week and maybe, you know, I, I haven't thought about the matchup potential of, you know, Kessler versus the Red Bulls versus Kessler versus New York City FC. But maybe Bruce Arena is looking at those matchups and says, hey, you know, John Bell gives us a better matchup against New York City FC and Henry Kessler gives us a better matchup against the Red Bulls. Both of them are going to play. It's a busy three game in a week span. Why not? We, you know, let's play Bell this one and we'll play Kessler against the Red Bulls. That's possible, too. Um, But you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but if I was a betting man, I'd say that, you know, the, the lineups we've seen over the past several games, to me, imply that Bell has moved ahead of Kessler on the depth chart in Bruce Arena's mind. Um, so that's that's interesting. And kind of on on that note, you know, it, you know whether or not that's the case, what, what did you think of the back line's performance in this one? Because you mentioned all the big saves that Matt Turner had to make. He had to make those saves because New York City was getting opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sloppy, I think, is the word that comes to mind. Um, you know, we talked about it before we started recording this, but the the left side is really what looked like a, a very big weak point on the team between Dewan Jones and John Bell. I think, you know, again, I think I thought that they both had a better performance than maybe you did, but I 100% agree. There's, I don't think there's anyone that really could deny that as a tandem, they did not necessarily play well together. Um, I did want to actually mention you. You just brought up too the uh, the idea that I, I'm backtracking a little bit here, but you mentioned maybe Henry Kessler and John Bell are being picked. You know, depending on the opponent, that's something that that hadn't come to my mind really. But they are different um, skill sets. You know, I think John Bell is a very good aerial player, uh, and he's a very athletic player, whereas Henry Kessler is a much smarter player. Uh, as far as you know, positional awareness goes, and you know, predicting what play is going to happen, and he's very good at maintaining, a you know, that offside trap line, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he's he's very good positionally and very good defensively. Whereas John Bell has a bit more, I think, aerial ability, even if he's not quite as tall as Henry Gessler. Um, so maybe maybe there is something to that, and I'm going to start reading into that a bit more, but. Um, Back to you know my thoughts on it. I, it was just sloppy, and they just looked—they looked like they haven't played together maybe ever, um, which is not something that you want when you have, um, it, you know, a starting lineup in MLS when you're playing for MLS Cup uh, potentially. So I don't know what, what were what were your takeaways. 
No, I, I, I agree. I think the to me, the the noticeable area was kind of that left side of the defense where I think Bell, especially early on, where I think Bell and Jones weren't communicating as well as maybe they should have. I think in the, you know, Farrell deservedly, um, you know, will get some shtick for, for giving up the penalty kick. But I think, he, you know, he was put in a rough position because if you, if you watch that play, both Jones and Bell kind of push forward to go for the ball. Neither of them get it. Um, so they're left with, you know, a couple of New York players for, for, that are behind them um, when that ball is won. And then Farrell kind of has to make a tough decision and kind of does well to close the guy, but then ends up conceding the penalty kick. Um, but there were a couple of times where I think, you know, there was a, I think one of um, New, York, New York City FC's goals, uh, Bell kind of went up for a header and, and didn't get it and it landed with the player who finished it. Um, you know, I think Bell's done a really good job for the Revolution overall. Uh, he scored the goal in this one. I don't think it was his best performance defensively um, for the Revs. And I and I do agree with you that Kessler and Bell have different skill sets. And, you know, Kessler, people have compared to, to Michael Parkhurst at times for kind of his ability to, to read the game from that center back position. I don't think Bell is there yet. But at the same time, you know, as we said before, Bell was a left back in college. Um, and he switched over to center back with Revs too. So this is just his, you know, his second year um, mm. of really playing center back. So I think he can get there. I think he could, you know, it's going to take time for him to be able to read the game as well as someone that's paying center back his whole career. Uh, so I think Bell can get there. But to me, still right now, they're, they're different skill sets, like you said. And, you know, I trust Bruce Arena to kind of look at matchups and play it that way. So if we see Kessler starting at the Red Bulls, then, you know, I, I maybe have read too much into this. Um, and I, I kind of expect that he will. Um, but I don't know. It was not a great performance in the Revolution defense. Farrell had some shaky moments. Uh, Bell had some shaky moments. Jo- Jones had some some shaky moments in this one. Um, you know, offensively, I think Jones contributed a bit. But defensively, I don't think he had one of his best games. Um, but, you know, again, 21 days is a long time. But at the same time, you know, these guys have gotten a run together. They've played, you know, several games in a row, you know, minus Kessler coming in for one of them. So you would hope they'd be a bit better. And I think, you know, on, on Wednesday, the Revolution are going to need them to be, you know, a lot better because you can't rely on Turner to always be that good. And going back to the point again, when Turner's out, you really can't rely on Turner to be that good when he's not behind you. So, um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the best performance for, for the Revolution defense. Uh, but at the end of the day, they, they got the three points. <laughs> and if, if I could flip to the other side, too, you know, uh, looking at right back with Brandon by, I thought that there was some uh, some worrisome po- moments in the game, I guess, because I, I noticed a lot, you know, when Brandon by is bombing down, uh, Matt Polster is dropping back to right back and they're playing uh, kind of a, a, a give and take with that right back position. So whenever Brandon by is tracking back, we'll see Matt Polster drop back up into that, um, you know, defensive midfield position. Um, that switch back and forth looked kind of shaky to me from time to time. I don't think it led to any of the um, the two goals or any of the the big scoring chances that they had. Um, actually, that in the first half, that cross that went over to I think it was Castellanos who missed from point blank or was denied by Turner from point blank. Uh, that cross right there was one of those moments. Uh, bef- before that cross leading up to it, where Brandon By and um, and Polster were were rotating their positions a bit, so that's one area that was really sticking out to me as something that maybe they need to work on in a more consistent way to handle that, uh, or maybe you know play a right winger who's going to be bombing up ahead more, so you're not relying on Brandon By so much to be there. Um, I, 
there's a couple of different solutions I guess you can go at. I don't get paid to make those decisions, but that's something that that I did notice that I'm going to be keeping an eye on uh, as uh, as the season progresses. And that's a great point. And quickly talking about Polster too, the the one the one kind of probably a minor point um, that I noticed in that game was that I didn't think was particularly smart was he you know he got a yellow card in the first half, um, and then uh, there was one point where Turner there was a challenge on Turner that was there wasn't much in it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Polster went there to kind of defend his keeper and, you know, you, re- you know, got to respect defending your keeper, but it went up there and kind of gave him a bit of a shove. And, you know, again, you, you want the teammates to protect the keeper, but it wasn't a very smart move for a guy on a yellow card on the road to give the referee an opportunity to call something there and perhaps give him a second yellow card. He didn't get it, but that was just one play that kind of stuck out to me as like, you, you know, the position he plays in as a defensive midfielder, he's going to get yellow cards and, you know, he's expected to be a bit of an enforcer, but I, I would like to see you know, somebody else be the guy that, that someone that's not in a yellow card, be the guy that kind of stands up for the keeper there and, and, and him play it a bit smarter. Um, because, you know, in this situation, if the Revs go down a man on something like that, it, it would be a disaster. Yeah. hundred percent agree with that. I, I, I didn't cross my mind uh, when I watched the game. Uh, but yeah, listening back to you say it now, that's a hundred percent. Yeah. That kind of scares me a bit. Yeah, just got to be a little bit, a little bit more discretion and something like that. Um, yeah. Um, the, the other lineup change, well, there's a couple more lineup changes I want to talk about, but, um, the other one I wanted to talk about, and we got a question on this one, uh, was, was McNamara getting the start at right midfield, um, which I found interesting. Uh, TSB11 on Discord also asked about that. He said, you know, McNamara starting at right wing feels suboptimal when Tejon Teal and, and Boateng are all available. Uh, and he asked, did Bruce outsmart himself with this one? Um, and of course, McNamara scored the winner late in the game, although I think at that point he was um, actually, at that point, was he back on the. It was confusing because he went, he went to the center at one point and then they made subs. And I think he went back on the right. I don't know. At one point, I'm not sure. I think he was in the center at that point. At least his run came from the center. Um, yeah. But w- what were your thoughts on McNamara getting the start at right wing when, you know, Tejan was available, Teal was available, and, you know, we haven't seen Boatang this season, so I'm, I'm not sure he was really an op in the mix to start. But um, what was your thoughts on McNamara starting at, at right wing? Yeah, you know, frankly, I didn't even realize that he was playing right wing. I don't know how I missed it when the lineups came out. And then uh, seeing the questions come in, I had to really track back. And I was like, wow, yeah, McNamara was on the right a lot. Um, so it didn't really, you know, game day, I wasn't really surprised by it. But because I didn't see it. Um, but thinking about it now, I, I don't know why he would play there. And it makes a lot more sense when I think about why I didn't see a lot of play necessarily go down the right wing. Uh, but when I think of the decision right now, it really, it kind of confuses me because, you know, I, I mentioned before, or, you know, we've mentioned it both a couple of times. We've had 21 days off, right? And then you're going to, you have a, a guy like Tayshawn Buchanan who was just playing and training with the Canadian national team. And then he comes back and he's fit and he's ready to go. And, then you start McNamara. I would want to get, you know, guys that have been playing still, especially, you know, Buchanan, he can be a starter. I don't think there's any question necessarily in that anymore. I'd be totally fine with Buchanan getting the start. Um, The same thing with Bunbury. Bunbury, McNamara, I guess, you know, maybe that was just a situational decision on that. But Buchanan, I think, 100% should have got that start. My only thought is uh, playing against his old club, 
give him a run out and see what happens. Maybe, you know, there's magic in the bag. And I mean, it, it ended up to be magic on the field. But I mean, you couldn't have predicted that was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy to look back now and, and say, oh, he scored that late goal. It was the right decision. But I, I don't I don't like the decision. Um, yeah. You know, with, with, with Tristan, and we'll talk about later, he hasn't been consistently, you know, a threat for the revolution. So then you put McNamara out there, who I think is more of kind of, again, he scored the goal, but it's more of kind of a defensively solid option um, out there. I don't think you got enough from your wing players in this game. And when you have Buchanan on the bench, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't agree with this decision. And, and I think the revolution offense, I think at halftime, they had something like, you know, 0.2 expected goals or 0.4 expected goals. To, it, it, they weren't, they weren't producing chances. They were lucky that Gustavo Bo scored a, a brilliant goal um, from, you know, what wasn't the most dangerous position. Uh, but otherwise they, they really weren't creating chances when they had this lineup out there. And then in the 59th minute, you know, Buchanan came on, um, Books and Buchanan both came on for, for Martial and Trist- Tristison. And at that point, I think the revolution offense looked a lot better, but um, you know, despite the fact that McNamara scored a great goal and I don't think he played poorly. I just think the revolution would have been a lot better off if they had Buchanan on from the start and you know, his, what he provides offensively and same thing, you know, I, I think Buchanan should have started, but I, I would have also, you know, if Buchanan wasn't available or if they were you know, resting him because of his time with Canada, I, I would have gone with Bunbury before McNamara. So this one did surprise me. Uh, great storyline and, and headline when McNamara scores the winner as first revolution goal against his former team. Um, mm. But I, I don't know. I, when I was when I saw the lineup, I was I was very surprised by that. And um, again, you know, the late goal when the players were kind of shuffled positions and the rev changed formation doesn't change how I view that that move. I think it was the wrong move, um, and I don't think we should see a lot of that going forward. But but who knows? Um, and I guess the the last one was was Bo getting the start over Buxa. I know you're a big Buxa guy. What did you think of that move? Uh, I didn't. I don't mind it. I mean, you got I, one thing I like about it is that you're not playing them both and like forcing them both in at the same exact time because I think that's where you get a bit of a stalemate uh, as far as the attack goes and the creativeness in the attack, where you have two players that both want to be the goal scorer, trying to go up and get their goals, and maybe they're forcing it too much for themselves and not creating enough team play when you have just one of them playing that allows a bit more freedoms up top and everyone can focus on that one goal scorer instead of trying to force it into uh, you know one player necessarily so Buxa or Bo gets it they're going to be running up and they're going to be trying to get the goals for themselves more more often than not which of course you want that in a goal scorer but it's really difficult when you have two players like that you know taking up a roster spot essentially with the player that does that that's my opinion of it anyway so i'm okay with it uh i i'm a big bow fan as well so i i'm a big buxa fan but you know that doesn't mean that i don't like like bow and i don't want to see him succeed <laughs> so i was really happy to see him out there see him get his goal i like that buxa came on like you said in the 59th minute i think that's a great time to bring him on whoever starts whether it's buxa or bow bring the other one on around the 60th minute uh and see if you can get some fireworks going i was uh i was totally fine with it yeah, and, and you know there was commentary during the game between you know, Brad and, and Charlie talking about how Bo has had a lot of injuries early on in the season. He hasn't been 100%, and he looked a lot more 100% in this game. It looked more like the classic Gustavo Bo. So hopefully that's a sign of, of good things to come for the Revolution. And you know, talking about the Revs' busy schedule this week, there's going to be plenty of minutes for both of those guys. It's a very compact schedule. Um, I, I agree. I, I don't have any problem with this move. And, you know, based on the goal that he scored, um, you know, honestly, the way that first half played out, 
uh, with the decisions Bruce made to start McNamara. I think they were better off having a guy like Bo that can kind of create and score a shot from that position um, because there wasn't – if, if Books had been playing that game, there wasn't really service for him to get. Right. Um, so you, you needed that guy that could score that goal out of nothing. Um, and, you know, not to give – Bruce credit for kind of putting out a lineup that wasn't creating chances, but if you're going to have a lineup that's not creating good service, then I think you're better off with Bo out there. Um, and that, that worked out for them in, in scoring that goal. Um, so yeah, I know. And I, and you know, Buxa might start Wednesday. Uh, it, both of these guys are going to get a lot of minutes over this week, I expect. And, yep. you know, Buxa going on and let's, let's talk about that sub. First of all, the, the sub in the 59th minute with Buxa and Buchanan on for, for Marcial and Tristison. I, I thought that was the right move because their offense really was sputtering. And I did think that that helped. Um, do you think that was the right move at the right time? Yeah, I loved it. And actually, I, I, when they first were making the substitution, uh, McNamara's number one up. And I was like, fantastic. I, we're going to take two midfielders out of the equation and we're going to put up two attackers. Uh, and, you know, I guess Buchanan would have been more like for like with McNamara, which is a really strange <laughs> sentence to say. But Buxa coming on for Maciel essentially is what that would have been. And, you know, you're showing you want to win. You're putting the pressure on New York City. You're going to just take all your attackers, throw them out there, and you're pushing to get that goal. I I really liked it. Uh, it was a very um, aggressive move, I think, on Bruce's part. And I would like to see that happen more often. And uh, to Masiel's credit, I don't think he had a bad game necessarily. I think that he just was a bit more uh, defensive-minded than he normally is. Uh, but it was it was good to see him out there, and he made uh, quite a few good passes as well. So uh, good game, I think, in my opinion, by Masiel. Um, maybe I'm wrong, and I'll hear about that in a minute. So <laughs> no, it was it was a, a good, if somewhat quiet, game from Masiel. Yeah. You know, he the Revolution were playing a good amount of defense, so he was forced to play a good amount of defense. Um, mm-hmm. I, but I, you know, on, on that sub, I think it was the right move at the right time. Um, you know, to be honest, if it was me, I, I, I again, I don't think Tristan had a great game, but I, I, I would have expected Buchanan to go on for McNamara. Um, you know, earlier on in the season, we saw Buchanan get a start at left wing and we talked about, you know, him not playing particularly well there. And there was questions of whether that was a position he could play. I always thought that with more time, he could, he could play there. Um, he, he spent most of his time in this game on the left and did really well and, you know, set up a goal there. So that was good to see as well. Um, that, you know, Buchanan can be effective on either wing. Um, but you know, that sub I thought really helped, you know, again, I questioned the decisions on, you know, the start who started this game, but I think Bruce recognized that they needed something different offensively and, and made that change. Um, and it, it worked out well. The, the other change that I was maybe less enthusiastic about, um, was they brought on Henry Kessler with, you know, nine minutes ago, the revolution were up two one at that time. Um, they took off Gustavo Bo Kessler came on and then they conceded a goal on, on a corner kick four minutes later. Um, you know, they ended up scoring a goal, you know, while playing with a five man back line anyways. Um, but, I I don't know about you, but I've never been a fan of you know we're, we got the lead or or you know we're, we're playing in a close game we got the lead let's just throw on another defender to help see out the game with ten minutes to go. What, what did you think of that move? Yeah, you know it, it feels like it's supposed to be the right move to make. You see it made all the time, and you know in in the best leagues in the world as well. You know the best teams in the world will also make changes like these. You'll see them internationally everywhere. So it feels like maybe that's what you're supposed to do. But I agree with you. I I personally don't like having so many defenders you know you have five man back line like you're saying you're just going to be inviting pressure and a team like new york city who was already peppering the goal and you know really threatening on the attack uh it, it's 
to invite pressure from a team like that, it's it's kind of a scary thought. Uh, that being said, I don't know how much defensive work Gustavo Bo was necessarily doing. He was, you know, playing some good forecheck, if I can use some ho- hockey terminology here. But other than that, other than his uh, his attacking tackles that that he was making, he's not really gonna make much of a difference, I guess, in the back. But you are taking one less person out of the attack, one less person to hold the ball. Uh, New York City, I mean, it worked for them. You know, they were able to bring up, really press the revolution, and they got themselves a goal out of it and uh, were able to level the game. Yeah, and you have other options of things you can do there. You you could have brought in a Teal Bunbury, who you know is really good at tracking back and also really good at pressing and, and kind of causing pressure. Um, but, you know, especially in a game where your defense is, is making some communication mistakes and, you know, to kind of switch to a formation that they don't really play in. They don't really play in a five-man back line. I actually asked um, John Bell after the game if they've practiced a lot, and he did say that they have practiced in it for the situation. So it is it is something they've trained in, but they haven't played a lot in it. Um, and, you know, I don't think adding an extra man fixes the, mis- the mistakes you're making. It just invites more pressure, and then more of those mistakes can be made. And, I, I know, Kessler, I think there was one play where he got beat over the top, which there, there was a lot of, you know, the communication didn't get better when Kessler came on. The same mistakes kept happening. Um, you know, it worked out in the end. They conceded the goal, and despite, you know, having a defensive formation, still ended up getting a winner. Um, but I'm just not a fan of that move. I'd, I'd rather see, you know, a Teal Bunbury come on because you know he can do that defensive work and press, or even a, a Scott Caldwell that kind of add an extra guy to the midfield and help keep possession instead of inviting pressure. Um, and, and on that note, we did see Scott Caldwell make a season debut in the 92nd minute, which was uh, interesting um, because he is a guy that I've, I've said a, a thousand times that seems to me would be a useful guy to put on the field when you're trying to maintain a lead because he, you know, he makes a smart pass and doesn't turn the ball over. Um, but at least we saw, I think, two or three minutes out of him in stoppage time this time. It was great to see him run out there. And we, we covered a few of our listener questions, uh, but we'll get to the other ones. But before we jump into those listener questions, I did want to take a quick minute to talk about the sponsor of this po- podcast, Galasho Kits. Galasho Kits is the go-to place for unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders and neither does the selection. And if you head to Galasho Kits, which is G-O-L-A-C-O kits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the discount code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP. Uh, use that at your checkout for 15% off your order at GalakoKits.com. Uh, and someone might want to go ahead and grab that 2002 New England Revolution kit They've got up there soon before it becomes even more vintage with the Revs likely changing their logo. Uh, we'll touch on that quickly later, but uh, I, I think that jersey is looking even more appealing uh, knowing, knowing that the, uh, the the beloved Cran flag might not be along much, much longer. Uh, I know. It's only 80 bucks too, so that's a, that's, a, that's a steal if you ask me. And with 15% off your order, I mean, can't go wrong. No, no. Make sure you use uh, Revs Recap for an even better deal. Um, so let's jump into the questions. We we talked about uh, several of these. Um, one of these, another one from David Sibillian. We talked about um, Buxa. Is his role going forward going to be as a super sub? Uh, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, like you said, we did talk, touch on that a little bit. I don't think Buxa is necessarily going to be the super sub. I think that it, maybe it's going to be a Buxa-Bow hybrid. So we're possibly going to have a DP super sub going forward. In my opinion, that might be the best way to proceed. Uh I don't think it would just necessarily be either Buxa or Bo that does designated in that role. I mean, you got to think Buxa is currently the the team leader in goals too, so it's hard to make your your uh, current Golden Boot front runner, whatever label you want to put on it. It's hard to put that person 
as your super sub. I think Books is going to still get quite a few minutes uh, as starting. Or he's going to get quite a few more starts, I should say. And uh, yeah, Books of Bo, I, I don't know. I, I don't think you could label them as like a, a consistent super sub going forward. I don't know. Do you have a different thought than me? No, I, I agree with you, and I think it's very, very important that Bruce Arena rotates these guys because you know Gustavo Bo has had injuries. He's you know he's in his thirties. Um, he's not going to be. I don't think. I don't think it's smart to play him. Um, you know, close to ninety minutes every game. So I think you're going to have a rotation. And I think both these guys provide very different options at striker. You know, like we we're talking about with with Bell and Kessler, you might have a rotation there depending on matchups. Um, I think you're going to have a rotation at striker depending on matchups and depending on health. So uh, Buxa provides something off the bench. I like that sub, like we talked about earlier. But I don't. I wouldn't label him the super sub either. I think it's going to be you know if Buxa starts. Gustavo Bo is going to be the super sub, um, and we're going to see you know mixing and matching kind of depending on matchups and depending on health. Uh, again, it's a very very busy compact season going forward. So there's plenty of minutes for all these guys, and it's important not to give Bo. You know, not to force Bo to play too much. A, a quick, a quick shout out to to Cam on Discord who on uh, April eighth said that John Bell will win a starting spot by the end of the season. Uh, he says he thinks this is a win for me already. So uh, giving himself <laughs> some uh, kudos, and we'll give him some kudos too. Uh, so far, that looks like a good call. Ronnie Smalls on Twitter uh, asks whether it's time to give someone else a run at left wing. We talked about Tristan not necessarily having the best game and being a little bit inconsistent. What, what do you think? Is it time to give somebody else a chance? No. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm a big Tristan fan. I see so much potential with him. And the thing that kills me, I feel like they keep taking Tristan out of the game as he's starting to, you know, maybe build himself into the game. Early on, and he seems to really be very active. He makes some very good and creative runs as well. His first touches seem to be letting him down a bit. Uh, his ball control is letting him down a bit. But you can see that he has the ability to make these plays. And if you watch uh, any, you know, highlight packages and stuff like that of him, of course, it's only going to be the best plays. It's not going to show you the worst of the worst, but you can see that he has the ability to do all these moves that he's trying to do. You know, they're simple advancements and simple dribbles. Uh, I just think he still feels a bit uncomfortable, maybe a bit nervous trying to play for a new team. I think he's got some mental blocks going on maybe, but I think, Taking him out in the 50th minute, 60th minute, whatever it is, uh, is not going to necessarily help progress Tristan in that role. And because we brought him in as you know our starting left wing, I think you need to really let him really grow into that role and and maybe not take him out so much. Um, you know, when you still have Tommy McNamara playing as a, a winger and you take Tristan out before Tommy Mac. Not that, you know, Tommy Mack didn't deserve to be out there, and of course it proved to be the correct decision in the end, but Tommy Mack as a winger is really a head-scratching move. And then you take Tristan out instead and put Buchanan in. I thought that if you took Tommy Mack out and put Buchanan in, it would have been a much more dynamic attack. Um, again, I I really think that there's something there with Tristan, and whenever it starts clicking, I think that it could really... Uh, I don't want to over overblow this and like make crazy hyperbole statements and say that he's going to, you know, shock the world. But, you know, that's, those are the words that I always use because I have a limited vocabulary, but he's, I think he's going to surprise some people. And I think, you know, he's someone that needs to be um, kept an eye on as far as uh, future revolution opponents. Look, I I actually agree with you. And I think that, uh, you know, he's got a lot to offer the revolution. I think confidence 
um, for him might be lacking a little bit right now. Like you said, there could be a mental block. Um, but, you know, benching him, I don't think is going to fix that. Uh, what I will say, you know, I, I think he's going to he should be the Revs left wing going forward. But what I will say is if you're you know ranking the Revolution wingers, I think Buchanan is the Revolution's best winger. Um, so if, if I was going to bench somebody for McNamara and I wouldn't bench somebody for McNamara, let's be clear, I'd probably play Buchanan over Tristan. That the, what I don't get in this game is why Buchanan wasn't playing. I don't think he should have been playing over Tristan. But if I was going to if I was going to pick between the two of them. Buchanan would be the guy out there because he's playing better right now. Um, but no, I think, you know, I think Buchanan and Tristison should be your wingers. And Tristison, I, I agree, has not lived up to, you know, his talent level yet. Um, but I do think he's the Rose's best option there. And I think that eventually he'll figure it out. And hopefully it will be sooner rather than later. Um, and I kind of hope that coming out of the break, that would have helped him because we talked about, you know, we've, we've given a lot of excuses for not having a preseason with the revolution and, and justifiably so. So I kind of hope that he'd be someone that might benefit from this break, uh, maybe more than we saw in this game, but I, I'm definitely not ready to give up on him yet. Yeah, no, I can hundred percent understand where the question's coming from because he's been, he's been very sloppy overall. And then we, we did get two more questions on Turner that I don't think we covered yet, uh, both on Discord. One from Cleggy who says, where in Europe is he going to end up going? And then Masha TM asks, should he be the number one for the U.S. men's national team? Chris, any thoughts on those two? Going to Europe? I don't know where in Europe he's going. But I you know I don't follow, follow enough to know what clubs are going to be needing a keeper. But in my opinion, he is a Premier League keeper. Um, you know, possibly one of the big teams in, um, in, well, I think Germany has, they got a lot of young players coming up through their, through their youth system. So there's probably not a room for an American keeper over there, but, uh, you know, possibly a big team over in, uh, in Spain or something like that as well. I think that would be a lot of fun to see him playing out there. Um, I am pretty confident that it's going to happen at some point in the future. I mean, how can it not, if he keeps putting up highlight reels like this, um, you know, Maybe maybe a keepers make one highlight real save in a game, but you know Matt Turner just creates an entire new highlight reel every single game he plays. It it seems like so. I think it's just a matter of time before that happens. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's this coming off season. I hope not for selfish reasons. And um, yeah, as far as a U.S. men's national team goes, he is the number one for me. Uh, I think that he is a more well-rounded keeper. You want you want to talk about his distribution skills, maybe not being up to par with Zach Steffen, fine. Do you want a keeper that can, you know, kick the ball deeper downfield? Or do you want a keeper that can, you know, make out-of-this-world saves? Uh, I'm going to take the keeper that can make the best saves. I want the, my keeper keeping the ball out of the net more than I want my keeper advancing uh, the ball up the pitch. And maybe that's just me because I am a keeper who has absolutely atrocious distribution skills and i mean i have pretty bad uh keeping the ball out of the net skills as well but you know <laughs> it's it may be a biased opinion for me but i don't know i i would i would play turner as my number one uh if we're looking at it today uh and where the skill sets are for each player and i want to give a shout out to ethan horvath real quick too because uh he stepped in yeah. for zach Steffen for the nation's league and that was uh, such a great performance by him and, you know, he, he really proved that he can show up when needed. Yeah, as far as where your paternal end up going, I, I got no special insight into that. Um, I watch a lot of Premier League selfishly. Um, I hope when, when Turner does go to Europe, that it is the Premier League because I'll, I'll be seeing more of his games that way. Um, but I think he's capable of playing in, in any of the top leagues in Europe. I think mm-hmm. he's, I think he's a, a really special talent um, that has developed a ton. You know, he, he he's came into soccer late in his life. 
Um, and we've seen him develop a ton just in his time with the Revolution. Um, and I think he's only going to get better. But I think he's capable of playing anywhere in the world. So um, I don't know where that's going to be. But I hope for selfishly, I hope it's in England. And uh, for his sake, I hope it's somewhere where he's going to go in and play right away, not where he's going to be in a situation like Zach Steffen, where he's you know the backup goalkeeper that's maybe playing in cup games. Um, and which brings to the next question of, you know, should he be the number one? Um, you know, it's hard. I don't, I don't know what Zach Steffen's injury is right now. Um, I hadn't heard how serious it was. I don't think it was that serious. It was, um, it was pretty minor, yeah. Yeah, I think it was pretty minor. Um, but, you know, a couple of things. I always think that you want your goalkeeper to be playing regularly. Um, and, you know, Zach Steffen got a decent amount of games last year because of injury. And, you know, in Cup and Man City played a lot of games. So he, he got a decent amount of games. Um, and Zach Steffen's a really good goalkeeper. I think that the job is still Zach Steffen's, but I think Matt Turner is very capable of beating him out for that job. I think if Matt Turner has a really good gold cup, he could be the number one. Um, but I think he needs that first before me to, you know, say he should be the number one. Uh, again, I think he's capable of it. Um, but I think we just need to see it for the U S before I, I say it should be the number one. And then you bring up Ethan Horvath. Um, you know, my biggest knock against Ethan Horvath is that, he plays even less than Zach Steffen plays. Um, he really doesn't play for his club team much at all. Um, and that, you know, for a goalkeeper like him that I think is, you know, still has room to develop, I think that's really unfortunate. I think he needs to find himself in a different situation. Uh, he bought himself, you know, a lot of a lot of good favor and credit for the U.S. with that amazing performance in the Nations League final coming into a very difficult situation. Um, but, you know, before that, I ranked Turner ahead of him. I still rank Turner ahead of him. Um, but, you know, it's a great position to be in for the U.S. to have three really good goalkeepers in Turner, Horvath, and Stefan um, competing for that spot. You know, the years ago where they had Casey Keller and Brad Friedel com- competing for a spot, uh, you know, Tony Miola before that, Tim Howard. There's been a lot of good U.S. national team goalkeepers. And, uh, you know, I think it's good for all of their development to be able to competing against each other. And it's great you know, as a U.S. national team fan to have those those three good options because even, you know, even like a year or so ago, there was Zach Steffen and then you weren't necessarily sure who was behind him. Um, and I think now things look a lot better than maybe they did a year or so ago in the, in the goalkeeper depth chart. But I think Matt Turner is very capable of being the number one. I think if he has a good goalkeeper, I mean, a good gold cup, that could very much put him in that conversation. I really appreciate the way that you put that to you because it, the job still is Zach Steffen's, you know, Matt Turner does kind of need to win it from him, I guess, unless Zach Steffen can somehow falter in a way to forfeit that position. But I don't think he will. I mean, he is a good keeper. I don't want to detract anything from him when I say that, in my opinion, Turner should be the number one. I don't want to take anything away from what Zach Steffen does and what he can do. Um, But I'm coming from a very biased position here, too, where I want to see Turner as the number one for the men's national team. I mean, and if he goes to the Premier League and is a regular starter, then he absolutely will be the number one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, I I agree with you on the, you know, the shot-stopping ability. I don't think there's anyone. I think Turner's second to none in that category uh, as far as U.S. goalkeepers go. So um, it's, it's, it's a job that he's very capable of winning um, if he plays his best for the U.S. And maybe we'll see that in the Gold Cup. The next question we got is also from Discord. Misha asks, Dewan Jones, good or nah? If Mafla ever stops being injured, will Jones have a place in the team? Uh, what are your thoughts on that one? I mean, I thought Dewan Jones had a really good game. Um, obviously, there was maybe some miscommunication between Dewan Jones and John Bell. But, uh, I mean, I guess I'm focusing more on the attacking play here. 
he got very much involved and it wasn't just once or twice it was pretty consistently throughout the game and he was even showing the ability to make defenders miss uh he showed a lot of composure for a young kid that you know he's we've been seeing him progress i guess you know year over year now and i've been really impressed with him maybe he needs to improve a little bit on his defensive play he was you know much like well was that mark segbers i think that came in with him um I think they were both wingers, and uh, so he's transitioning more to a defensive role, and I think he's done very well, and especially considering, you know, we keep going back to this, I feel like every time that we talk about DeWan Jones, the fact that he's right-footed, right-footed playing uh, in a left-footed position, you know, a traditional left-foot position, and still playing the way that he is, and being able to find a way to put the ball onto his right and to still put in some good service, um, he's doing a hell of a job, in my opinion, and he's even improving with his left foot, too. Uh, I don't know. Do you feel the same way as me? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a very capable left back, um, Dewan Jones. You know, could you improve? Could you could you get a better left back than Dewan Jones? Sure, you could. Um, but I, I don't think that you can't win a championship with Dewan Jones. Um, I think Dewan Jones is, is certainly capable enough, and I think he's gotten a lot better. You know, there is the inherent disadvantage of being a right-footed left back, um, absolutely. And, and, you know, like we've said before, I do think that Tristison could benefit from, you know, an overlapping left back with a left foot because we know that Tristison's a guy that, you know, is good at cutting inside. Um, so, yes, I think that that, that hurts him. Um, you know, it, it, if Mopla stays healthy, is he going to beat out Dewan Jones? Yeah. It's a, first of all, it's a big if. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. is Mopla ever going to get healthy? Um, I think we're seeing why he earned himself the nickname Glass Legs before before coming to the revolution. But, you know, uh, on that note, and I've said it before, it's it's kind of it's getting a little bit comical. The amount of resources the Revs have put into left backs over the years. And it's not, you know, it's not just Bruce Arena. It goes back a long time where the revolution go out and, you know, get these international left backs, whether it was you know Gabriel Somi, um, whether it was. Uh, Domi years ago, Cassio going way back. Um, you know, even Edgar Castillo, he was a U.S. U.S. left back, but another guy that Wait, was even you know, tried Claude Dielma there too. Claude Dielma, they've gave some chances there. They've spent a lot of money on guys that were meant to play left back, and and both you know over all that stretch, they've had two very capable left backs that they've kind of tried to replace. First, it was Chris Tierney, um, who you know proved himself to be a very capable left back, and the Revolution consistently tried to upgrade over him and spent a lot of money and could never find that upgrade. And then you know Chris Tierney ended up being a guy that played uh, you know, up at one of the all-time leaders in, in games played for the Revolution. He was a very good player for the Revolution. And Dewan Jones, I think, is a very good player for the Revolution. Again, are they the best? You know, was, was Tierney the best left back in the league? Absolutely not. Is is Jones the best left back in the league? No. Um, but I don't think you know. I don't think Jones and you know, I'm not. I'm not comparing Tierney and Jones because they're two very different players, and I think their their strengths and weaknesses are about the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> but but um, you know, exact opposite. But I think Jones is a very capable player that you know maybe isn't a guy that's going to win you a championship, but he's definitely not a guy that's going to cost you the championship if he's your left back. Um, and I would rather see the revolution spend resources elsewhere because they've proven themselves very incapable of finding, of finding a good international left back and have exerted a lot of resources there over the years that have gone to waste. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that it maybe goes a bit underrated 
that one of Dewan Jones' best assets is the fact that he's able to stay healthy. You know, knock on wood. But right. um, it, it, that's one of the things that he's always always available to be out there. And you know, another name that we didn't even talk about, and he was here just last year, was Alexander Butner too. You know, thinking about right. the resources went into him, and then Mafla. Now he's sitting on a contract that's about half a million dollars, somewhere in that ballpark, and he's only been out there. I I can't even count the minutes. I haven't looked it up recently. Um, not a lot of minutes. We'll just, you know, say it that way. And it hasn't really impressed. And even with Revs too, um, he was, you know, suboptimal, I would say, playing with Revs too, which kind of is a concern when you think about the money that's, like you're saying, that what sort of investment is being put into that position when they have someone that is perfectly capable and, you know, seemingly healthy that is already there. Uh, I'm, I'm 100% with you take those resources, maybe put them into something else. Uh, Revs seem to have a trouble on the wings right now. So maybe, maybe invest a bit more there or maybe just give Tristan some time. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't have that book, but, but we, we got to bring up one other guy too. Cause you're talking about Moffat yeah. and his salary. Wilford Captoom. Somebody asked us about uh, him as well. Um, he's making $557,000. Uh, we haven't seen much of him. He wasn't, on in the in the what is it the the game day twenty what I I forget how many people however on the many yeah. however many is he wasn't in it this time, um, you know and I didn't see him on the injury list I didn't hear anything, um, what do you make of of Captoom and is it too soon to start saying you know the Revs two most expensive offseason acquisitions may, may be busts yeah I mean it, like you said just like Mafia he's he's making quite a bit of money and we saw we've seen captain i do know this one it's been 180 minutes that he's played for the first team and it hasn't been anything impressive i think that you know his football rating over those 180 minutes is a 6.7 which is i mean okay for the revs of three years ago but revs have much higher uh higher stakes and higher goals than maybe they've ever had uh and i I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's almost comical, like you're saying too. It's just it's it's just kind of funny, making me laugh. Like how much money is being spent there when we have players like Tommy McNamara coming in, who's I don't know what his salary is, but it's probably closer to the the veteran minimum. Um, and you have young guys, you know, like like Maciel coming up and outplaying him and really earning those minutes. Maciel, I thought, has been very well. Captoom, he has the ability. We know that he has the ability. We've seen it. It's on tape. The only problem for him is just he can't seem to put it together when he's actually on the on the pitch for the refs. For whatever reason, I don't know what it is. It doesn't feel the same thing as with Tristison, where it's something maybe a mental block of his, but for some reason, I just I, I can't see him putting it together, and I, I don't know what needs to change for him. Well, and, and there definitely have been some. I don't know if he's injured now. I assume he probably is. If he wasn't even in the on the on the on the game game, but that's that's the thing too. You mentioned Tristan. And Tristan and stayed healthy at least. Uh, mm-hmm. Neither Mafla or Captoom have stayed healthy, and you're you're not you're not of much use to a team if you can't stay healthy. Um, and you know maybe that'll change. I think. I think Where does Luis Caicedo sit in that conversation? Too? <laughs> right. That's the yeah. And TSB eleven asked you know any word on Caicedo and, and Captoom. Um, I don't know what's wrong with Captoom. I assume it's something, but I didn't hear anything, and he wasn't on, he wasn't available. Caicedo, it's it's really disappointing that he's you know he was on the injury report along with Mafla. They were the only two guys on it. 
Um, you know, he had a, a serious injury last year that kept him out the whole season. And I think he's a very talented player um, from what we saw two years ago now. Um, but when you've been out this long, it's a question of whether you can ever get back to that player that he was. Um, so I don't, I don't, I wouldn't be relying on him to be that guy when he comes back, unfortunately. And I don't know when he's going to come back. It's unfortunate because I do think, you know, the, the Caicedo that we saw two years ago could help this Revs team now. Um, but when a guy has been out this long and is, you know, still on the injury report, you have to be concerned. Yeah. Can I pose a question to you then? Are the Revs missing having Caicedo on the roster? I, I think so. I think Caicedo offers something. Well, I, again, it's the Caicedo of two years ago. So assuming you get the Caicedo, a healthy Caicedo back, and he's, he's got the mobility that he had two years ago, which is a big if. Um, I think he provides something very different than Maciel. I think Maciel has been a, a good contributor to the Revs. I think Maciel provides... You know, he's he's not – I've, I've compared him to Caldwell before. He's not Caldwell, but I think he does provide something a little bit similar to what Caldwell provides out there. And I think Caicedo provides something different. I think Caicedo covers more ground um, and kind of gets himself into the attack and is more of that box-to-box midfielder that's doing a, a ton of running out there, um, which, is which again, is, is really troubling given the injuries he's had. Like, can he be that guy again, it's given what type of player he was? But I do think if you have that – guy from two years ago that he would give you a different look in midfield next to Polster um, if you were to play him or next to Martial if you were to bench Polster. Um, and I do think the revolution could use that as kind of a change of pace central midfielder. Okay. I, I, I didn't, I didn't have an answer to that. I just really wanted to know what your thoughts were because I, I don't know where I stand in that, in that conversation. I could go back and forth on that. Well, I don't want to go too long, but we do have a few off-field things to talk about. And I know James Downing mentioned it was a hell of a game, but because we've been off three weeks, he also wanted to hear about stadium rumors, the the crest, and Buchanan transfer speculation. Um, so let's. I don't want to spend too much time on the stadium. We talked about this before the show. There's been, you know, I, I don't know that this speculation feels any more credible to me than the speculation we've heard eight million other times that has led to absolutely nothing. So I, I'm personally someone that's been burnt so many times on Rev Stadium rumors that I don't want to spend too much time on this one until there's there's something more concrete. I don't know if you view it differently, but that's kind of where I come out in, on the stadium rumors. You know, I I live near Everett right now and I know that area and you know i don't think it would be ideal um better than where they are now and you know at this point maybe boston proper is is unrealistic but if that's i know the speculation about that i don't know how again i don't know if there's any truth to any of that um my i lean to think there's not but i i do know that area um it's not particularly convenient to public transportation you could change it and make it convenient um it's i, I think it's less than optimal but better than where they are now um, but at the same time, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I, I don't I don't believe it until there's a shovel in the ground. <laughs> right. We, we know Sean's a little jaded on this topic and understandably so. There's so many Revs fans that are jaded. I get excited every single time it comes up. Um, I don't know why. I just get like a kid in a candy store and I'm like, yes, let's run through all these uh, all these ideas. But like you said, there is no credible rumors necessarily going around. I would say that this Everett location uh, from a business perspective, makes sense to me only because it's, you know, right next to the, the Encore casinos, you know, which is, I don't know how much funded by the, the Wynn family um, and mega billionaires, that whole family there, uh, or maybe it's just the one guy, I can't remember. But when I just see billionaires and you think they're all going to be hanging out together, doing stuff together, Robert Kraft, another billionaire probably going to be getting in there getting into business together let's make more money together 
it just kind of looks like something that you could definitely see happening, um, whether it's, you know, Robert or Jonathan Kraft in the future. Uh, putting down the money to get set up there, that's like as far as I'll go into it, I guess. But it, it would make sense from a business perspective. Um, but I would like to wait to till we see anything credible before we go too deep on that. Yeah, so, something that I think there is a little bit more credibility to is the new logo for the revolution yes. that uh, Bob Williams at Sports Business was kind of the first to leak on June 10th. And then more stuff has come out since then with the trademark applications that I think uh, Seth Maycomber from the Bent Musket shared. This this seems pretty credible. We don't know the timing mm-hmm. of it, but it, you know, my guess is probably an off-season move. I, seem weird to me to kind of middle of the season change the logo unless you were you know <laughs> unless it was unless you're columbus or unless you're announcing a stadium with it uh but yeah. <laughs> but but uh i'm not gonna i'm not gonna buy that one um so i think this is an off-season move but it seems like it's gonna happen what, what is your thoughts on the new logo you know i went through a lot with this like mentally trying to wrap my head around it uh i did not like it at first i thought that it was aesthetically uh unpleasing uh, unappealing. I don't know how you want to put that. I didn't like it, but I, I, I looked at it for several days and thought more about it. Saw different renderings of like mock kits that you know other fans were making on Twitter, and it really started to grow on me. And I could I could see myself you know sporting gear with that crest on it. Uh, I do like the sash going through the R. I know a lot of people say that it kind of looks like. Uh, like a cancel sign or a don't sign or something like that, which I can 100% see. It, it does kind of look like that. But it, I think it also pays great homage to the Revolutionary War era uh, uh, uniforms that the, uh, the soldiers wore. Um, so overall, yeah, I, I do like the kit now that I've had some time you know, to marinate in that logo. But uh, I'm going to miss the crown flag you know, whenever, whenever that does go. Yeah, I'm a I'm a pretty nostalgic person, and I grew up, you know, watching the Revolution, so I I've, I feel nostalgic about the about the crane flag. Like I know a lot of other people yeah. that have been following the team for a long time do. Um, with with that said, and I and you know I I do kind of buy into the argument that um some people have made that the Revolution have held on to that logo for so long that it went from you know it kind of became cool. Yeah, you know, yes. it was it was it was uncool, but because now they're like the the only team left that's kept the original logo, it kind of became that cool that cool logo just because of how old it is um with with that said we've seen a lot of terrible rebrands we saw the the columbus crew disaster we saw the chicago fire logo which was pretty terrible which now they're they're replacing again that came out this week i think their new logo which i think i think their second rebrand actually looks pretty good but the the one they had been using was pretty terrible um Mm -hmm. but by comparison i think this revolution rebrand looks pretty good um, I, I'm not saying I'm someone that's pro rebrand. I, I always thought that, it, you know, it would make sense when the revolution were going to announce the stadium to do a rebrand at that point in time and, you know, make it kind of be a big shift and direction for the revolution. Um, I think the fact it's taken so long to get a stadium has made them reevaluate that. Um, I still am on the board of, you know, making the shift when you get a stadium makes more sense. Um, but with all of that said, as far as MLS rebrands goes, this one's pretty good. Well, and who's to say that this is not coming with a stadium? You know, let's get our hopes. You're up more optimistic and, uh, than me. <laughs> yeah. I, I always try to be optimistic because then I'm not so grumpy, uh, but it can definitely go the other way sometimes. <laughs> and it, uh, I, I was on the, the, you know, the pro rebrand side for a while. And that's, I think that's a lot because 
not because I dislike the crown flag. I love the crown flag. I thought it was a great crest. But I think I think you know, and I mentioned it earlier that the Revolution have new ambitions. They have higher stakes now, and this is a different league than it was when the league was first created. You know, we're in version 3.0, I think, of what uh, everyone's calling MLS now. And in order to grow with the league, I think that part of that is maybe growing your branding, expanding on that uh, instead of having a 1994 World Cup inspired badge you know maybe something a bit more original and unique to the team itself uh as as original as that logo kind of feels it's you know it's not really that original it's an american flag ripped off of uh <laughs> ripped off a 1994 u.s world cup uh, uh badge um or logo i guess the logo for the world cup in 94 so i i'm happy with the refresh i think that it's definitely the way to go uh, and I know that many people are going to be unhappy with me, um, Jake mostly. But um, yeah, there's going to be some, some comments regarding that. Uh, last topic that I want to touch on, and you touched on it briefly, is the the Gold Cup preliminary rosters. Um, mentioned Henry Kessler, Matt Turner on there, Tejan Buchanan on there. Which of those guys do you think are actually going to make the rosters? And how excited are you to see you know, Revs players? I, I always get excited when I see a Rev player playing international football. How excited are you for the, the Gold Cup and potentially having three Revs in it? Yeah, I mean, I, I've watched Iranian football when Gabe Somi made the team. <laughs> um, I don't know why. It wasn't very entertaining. Um, but, I mean, I, it, like you're saying, I got excited. You know, a Revs player makes their national team. Um, and, yeah, Buchanan, I think, is a lock to make the team. He's, he's proven... Um, it, to be an asset to that team when they were playing, you know, in international level, um, you know, they're playing world cup qualifying and they're having players from around the world play, you know, he's playing with Alfonso Davies and he was still on that roster. Now you're talking gold cup. Maybe not all the players are going to be getting released by their clubs. There's a much higher chance for MLS players to play Buchanan hundred percent lock again, Turner. We all expect him to be the starter for the U S uh, Henry Kessler is the only question mark. And I would maybe uh, err on the side that he would get called up and uh, would play. I know, Sean, you might be in a different camp on this one. But again, that's only because a lot of the European teams are not going to be releasing players. Uh, you know, not going to have a John Brooks and stuff like that to be playing uh, as they're getting ready for their season to start. Yeah, you know, my my biggest thought. So I, I agree. I think Buchanan's a lock. I think Turner's a lock. Um, you know, I don't think Kessler makes it. But there's, you know, the two two thoughts here is one is that, you know, the theory you posed earlier that Bruce Arena knew he was going to get called up. So he hasn't been, you know, he's been given Bell more of a chance and knowing he needed to, to fill in for Kessler. There's that theory, in, in which case, you know, Bruce knows something we don't, which he certainly could. Um, but the other side of that is, let's say that's not the case. The fact that Kessler's only started five of nine Revs games this year, I think Bruce hurt his chances of making the Gold Cup roster. You know, he's only a second-year player. He showed really good his rookie season. He's still developing. He needs minutes with the Revolution um, and to, you know, to prove he belongs on the national team. And I think the fact that he's, you know, played just slightly more than 50% or just started slightly more than 50% of the Revs games this year hurts his chances of being a part of that Gold Cup roster. I think he had a chance at making the roster. I think the fact he made the preliminary roster certainly shows that. Um, but I think Arena, by you know giving Bell a chance and by you know, benching Kessler for four games, um, really hurt his chance of making the roster. So I'd, I'd actually be surprised if Kessler makes it. Um, you know, your point is a good one that a lot of guys are unavailable because, you know, European teams aren't releasing their players. But I think even with that, I think, 
you know, had Kessler started all nine games, I think he would have had a good shot. But I think the fact that he's only played, you know, only started five of them is really going to hurt his chances of, of making this roster. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good uh, American defenders that play in MLS as well. Yeah. And if Henry Kessler does get called in, he, you know, he's going to be uh, pretty low on the totem pole, I think, as far as initial thoughts going into the, to the tournament, uh, as far as where he's going to rank. Maybe he impresses Greg Berhalter. I know that um, Greg was satisfied with his performance when he came in for what was the Olympic qualifying? Is that what it was that he was yep. playing? Yeah, um, that camp, and, that joint camp. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I know he didn't play with the men's national team at that point. He only played with the youth team. But um, I still, in my opinion, I, maybe you know, I'm being biased, and uh, and I just really want Kessler to play with the with the first team. Uh, I'm just trying to will it into existence, but I, I'm, I'm still, I, I'd be putting my money that Kessler would be there. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see. I'd, I'd love to see what he could do at that level. Um, yeah. And, and if he does make the roster, I'm going to be convinced that that what, what you said earlier about John Bell playing had something to do with Bruce Arena knowing that was coming. Hundred IQ, <laughs> and I'll be, I'll be very impressed. Um, actually, the, the one last thing I said that was the last comment was I think we didn't answer one person's question we touched upon the center backs but for you what is the revs best center back pairing uh it's gonna be uh, farrell and kessler i you know i i said it before john bell i think has a great physical ability and i really like seeing him out there and i'm really enjoying watching him develop as a mls starter uh, i think kessler is a much smarter player and he knows the game and i think that you need that mentality out on the pitch and, you know, come Wednesday, I expect to see Kessler out there with uh, Andrew Farrell because Andrew Farrell shouldn't be having to make last-ditch tackles in the box like he did uh, when he drew that penalty. Um, he, he shouldn't have, you know, maybe gone down into the player like he did. I don't I don't remember who he took down. Um, it, it, was, it was a soft penalty, but still, you know, I think uh, Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell are the two that we'll see, and I think that that's your best bet. Yeah, and and I completely agree. We had some people ask about you know whether it should be Kessler and, and Bell. I think Bruce Arena is very much on uh, not not on board with playing two guys that are you know relatively inexperienced at the professional level. I think he's made that pretty clear that he wants a veteran out there. Um, and and I don't think that Bell has outperformed Farrell. I think Farrell's you know, some people haven't been happy with Farrell's performances this season. I think Farrell's been fine, um, and I think Farrell and Kessler are a pretty good pairing. So I, I agree with you. I think Farrell and Kessler are the res best pairing. I'd be surprised if we didn't see them on Wednesday. Um, but at the same time, I think Bell is is has somehow found his way ahead of Kessler in the depth chart, or at least found his way equal to him. So we're going to be seeing a lot more Bell going forward as well. Um, I think that was it for today's show. Uh, thanks again to everybody for listening. We we wished everybody a happy Father's Day earlier. I'll do that again. I know you'll probably be listening Monday and not Sunday, um, but happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Uh, Revolution have a game on Wednesday at home against the Red Bulls. I do not think we'll be coming to you after that one, um, but the Revolution have another game next weekend at FC Dallas on Sunday. Uh, we'll be trying to do a podcast after that. My guess is that'll probably... Uh, be a Monday night podcast rather than a Sunday night podcast because I don't know if people want to uh, be staying up at a 11.30 to record one. So we'll we'll keep you posted. Follow us at Revolution Recap. Um, you can follow me at Sean Aldonio. Chris, where can people follow you? Yeah, uh, you can find me over on Twitter uh, at Chris Lucas. Uh, you can also follow me uh, over on YouTube. You can give me a, give me a subscription or whatever it's called over there uh, <laughs> at Res Revolt. Uh, you know, I just dropped a video actually talking about the new branding, the new badge leak. So uh, go give that a watch as well. 
And then you can follow us on Facebook at Revolution Recap and uh, our Instagram page, uh, Revolution Recap, as well. Um, thanks again for everyone for listening. Make sure to rate and review the podcast if you enjoyed it. And we'll be back some point after the FC Dallas game. So follow us on social media so you can find out when. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.